Luke 22, 1 through 38. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was the number, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray them to him, betray him to them, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you, this is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed." And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, who reclines at table, or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, Strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. Let's pray. God, help us as we look at your word. We are... um, um, This is a lot. Um, 
as we consider together um, these days, these hours leading up to the crucifixion of your Son for our sins. And as we consider that we are the transgressors that he was numbered with. He took our sin. So this is a lot to take in this morning. We pray that you would help us. In Christ's name, amen. So, every once in a while I like to just tell you that I, I know what I'm supposed to do as a preacher. I'm just choosing not to do it. Um, last week, I, I preached um, a 48-minute sermon, um, which you're not supposed to do that. 30, 35 minutes. That's the sweet spot. That's where you want to stay, right in that 35-minute range. So I want you to know that I know that. I'm just choosing not to do it. And obviously, I'm choosing again today not to do that. Like, if we get this under 48 minutes, then it's just a win for all of us. Another thing you're not supposed to do as a preacher is open with an illustration that only you care about. But I'm going to do that too. Um, this week, and then there's four or five of you who care. Me and four and five. Me and four or five of you. Um, this week starts March Madness. Uh, yeah, yeah. There we go. We got. We got I hear that. Amen. Um, uh, March Madness is, is a college basketball, men's college basketball tournament, starting this Thursday. It's all kinds of fun. Uh, we, 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 we fill out brackets trying to guess who's going to win, um, and we're never right, and it's just fun. It's fun for, again, five of us. The rest of you don't care. But I think about this a lot, um, because in my household, I should be the one to win. I, I, I compete against my children, my wife and my children, as to who can pick the winners the best. And we actually, this is how interesting we are, we actually have a little trophy in our house. We do. You can, and, and we have a little trophy for who wins, who, who picks up the, and I have, I've never had that trophy. I've never, I've never won. Um, I have, my, my daughter has it right now, and, and she doesn't, she's never watched a college basketball game, and yet, and, and she'll probably win it again this year, and, and she doesn't know any of the teams. She couldn't name a player on any of them, and yet she'll pick the winners better than I do, um, because it's hard to pick the winners. That's, that's what I'm saying. What we see in this passage is that there is a winner we can bank on every single time. Over and over and over in this passage, Jesus shows us that he wins. His mercy triumphs. If you know the mercy of Jesus, if you belong to him, if he is your savior, then you can be 100% sure. You're not guessing you can be 100% sure that in the end, he wins. So the, the goal of this sermon is the, is the same basic ultimate goal that I have for every sermon. I want everyone in this room to trust Jesus, to love Jesus, to serve Jesus. I want us all to do that joyfully and fearlessly. I want us to throw ourselves into trusting and loving and serving Jesus, come what may. That's the goal for every sermon. I mean, it takes different angles every time, depending on what text we're in, but that's the ultimate goal. 
And this passage tells us why we can do that with, with joyfulness and with courage. Why can we do that? Because Jesus wins. His, his mercy triumphs. We're going to see as we look through this passage, we're going to see Jesus' mercy as it triumphs over Satan, as it triumphs over death, as it triumphs over betrayal, as it triumphs over denseness, as it triumphs over denial. So we obviously have a ton of work to do today, so we're going to jump right in. Number one, His mercy triumphs over Satan. Verse 1 says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. So it's, it's Passover time. All right? And so now this is a big deal to the New Testament writers. They, they want us to understand, they want us to grab hold of the fact that, that Jesus was crucified at, at Passover. Uh, so Passover is the time when the Jewish families would ascend to Jerusalem and they would celebrate this meal, this Passover meal together. It's the time when they look back and they recall the way God delivered them in the time of Exodus. When, when God was bringing them out of Egypt, when God was using Moses to rescue them out of Egypt, he, they were, they were enslaved in Egypt and God brought them out. And the way God did it, that, that he, he sent those plagues upon Egypt because Pharaoh refused to let the people go. And so that tenth Plague is where, is where the angel of death came and, and killed the firstborn son of every house in Egypt, including mighty Pharaoh's firstborn son. The angel of death came and killed the firstborn son. This was horrifying punishment. It was righteous and just and holy punishment on Pharaoh and Egypt's rebellion. But, the Israelites escaped this judgment. Because God told the Israelites, what you do is you, you kill this lamb and then you take that blood and you, and you cover your doorpost with it. You cover your doorway with the blood of the lamb. And when that angel of death comes by your house, that angel of death will see the blood and he will pass over your house. You will escape the judgment, the wrath of God. So now what we have to understand is that God the Father has chosen this particular time of year. He has chosen Passover for the death of His Son. What we have to understand, I say it all the time, but we have to, have to keep it clear in our heads that, that Jesus' death was not like this, this, this tragedy that befell Him, that, that He was just like this helpless victim. Jesus laid down His life. He walked into this. This is the plan of God. God designed the crucifixion of His Son. And He wanted it to happen during Passover. Because He wanted us to see, as the church has seen ever since then, He wanted us to see that Jesus is the ultimate Passover Lamb. In a few moments, we're going to see Jesus says to His, to his disciples, this feast now, it's, it's now going to be about Me. It's going to be a new meal and you're going to remember me now with this bread and with this cup. Jesus is the one. He is the, he is the ultimate Passover lamb, Paul teaches us. Because Jesus spilled his blood for us so that we can escape the wrath of God. Jesus paid for the sins we have committed with his blood 
And so what we have to understand here is that his victorious sacrificial death was not a meaningless tragedy that got away from him. He couldn't stop it. There's nothing he could do about it. What we have to understand is that this happened just the way God wanted it to happen. And it happened when God wanted it to happen. And then what we also have to see from these opening verses is that Satan helped it happen at the exact time God wanted it to happen. Satan helped carry out the plan of God. Now, did he want to do that? No. He wants to rise up against God, rebel against God, thwart God, defeat God. But in the end, we see Jesus wins. Verse 3, Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot. Because in verse 2, the chief priests and the scribes wanted to kill Jesus, but the, the, the crowd was there. There was this, all these people in Jerusalem. I mean, the, the, the city was swollen. It was crowded with people. And many of them were pro-Jesus. Many of them loved Jesus. And so it would have been impossible for the chief priests and the scribes to, in some sort of public way, arrest Jesus. They needed to arrest Him secretly. They needed someone on the inside. They needed someone to betray Jesus. They needed an inside man. And they needed someone probably to turn against Jesus and testify against Him as well. They needed a treacherous, deceitful whistleblower. They needed someone to set up an arrest that can happen in the cover of night. So this is what Judas provides for them, we see in these opening verses. And why does Judas do it? There's all kinds of reasons, probably. But who is the driving force? Satan. Verse 3, Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot. He went away and conferred with the chief priests how he might betray him to them. Satan is the one He is the driving force here. He is the driving force. It wouldn't have happened at Passover time except Judas helps them out. Judas would not have helped them out if Satan had not entered Judas. Satan is doing his worst and God is accomplishing his purposes. That's what we understand here as we look at this. And we see it over and over in the Bible. Even when Satan is doing his worst, all he can do is play his part in God's story of redemption, in God's story of mercy. Satan has a part to play, a part that he chooses to play, a part that he is completely responsible for, a part that he will be justly punished for. God is never responsible for anyone's evil, including Satan's. But in the end, we will see, just like we see in this story, that everything Satan has done, no matter how he tries to defy God, in the end we will see that Satan has never been able to do anything but serve the purposes of God. No one anywhere, ever, no matter how powerful they are, has ever been able to do anything but serve the purposes of God. 
This is God's plan of redemption. And try as he might, Satan can do nothing but serve God's purposes. Jesus' mercy wins. It triumphs over anything that would rise up against it, and that includes anything that Satan might try to do. Jesus' mercy triumphs over Satan. Number two, his mercy triumphs over death. This is good news for us because we are going to die. Jesus sets the tone in these first few verses, 7 through 13. He sets the tone. He, he, this is a reminder that he is in charge of what's going on here. He is, he is doing the, the preparation work. Because there's a problem, right? They're, how are they going to find a place in overcrowded Jerusalem to celebrate Passover? Where in the world? There's no room in the inn. There's no room in the stable. There's no room in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is full of people. But Jesus has taken care of the details. You go into the city, you're going to see a man carrying a jar of water, you follow him to the house that he enters, and then you tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished. Prepare it there. Jesus is calm and he's in charge. And they went out and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, as we listen in on what Jesus says to his disciples during this Last Supper together, a couple of things stand out. Right? We see Jesus is talking to them. We don't know how much of it is penetrating. We'll get to that in a moment. But Jesus is talking to them about his death. Right? He's saying, He's saying this meal now, the the meal that you celebrate, you guys are going to be done celebrating Passover from now on. You are now going to be celebrating a, a new meal, a better meal. You're going to be celebrating me. You're going to be remembering me. You're going to be remembering that that my body was broken for you. That I was afflicted and bruised and killed for you. I was sacrificed for you. You're going to remember this is my this is my blood. When you, when you drink, he's, so he's appropriating part of the, 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 the Passover meal. He's taking that, that part of the bread, part of the, part of the cup, and he's, and he's saying, this is about me now. This is a new thing. It's a new covenant. You are now going to be eternally forgiven by God. You're going to be eternally brought into the family of God. God's going to give you a a new heart. You're going to be completely forgiven. And so you're going to have this new meal to remember my death. My body was destroyed. My blood was spilled. I was sacrificed for you. I am your Passover lamb. But this last meal and this last conversation he has with his guys is not just about his death though. It's not just about death. Because he says a couple of things. He says in verse 16, I tell you I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he says in verse 18, I tell you from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, this is my last meal I'm going to have with you guys for a while. I will eat again with you when the kingdom comes. I will drink again with you when the kingdom of God 
comes. Jesus is saying to them, yes, I am going to die, but I'm going to eat again. I'm going to drink again. I'm going to do so with you. Yes, you are going to die, but all those who believe upon Me will live again. Jesus is saying, death is not the end here. It's not the end. Death cannot stop Jesus. Jesus' mercy triumphs over even death. It triumphs over Satan. It triumphs over death. His mercy, number three, triumphs over human betrayal. 21 and 22 are hard verses. They are hard verses. As Jesus is talking about His coming death, how He is going to suffer, how His blood is going to be spilled, how this is this necessary thing for them to be saved, for them to be brought into this new covenant with God, this 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 that the family of God given new hearts and, and eternally forgiven. Jesus is talking about this and then He says, but behold, the hand of Him who betrays Me is with Me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom He is betrayed. Here we have that just that cosmic mystery, right? Where we see God is sovereign. This thing is going to happen as it has been determined. The Son of Man, it has been determined by God that the Son of Man will be betrayed. He will be arrested. He will be condemned. He will be crucified. He will be killed. It is going to happen. The Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But then we also see, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Judas is completely responsible for his evil. God is never responsible for evil. God is never responsible for tempting anyone towards evil. Things are happening exactly the way God has ordained them to happen. And Judas is 100% responsible for his treachery. There has never been a more evil human betrayal than this. No one has ever deserved loyalty like Jesus deserves loyalty. No one has ever been given privilege like Judas has been given privilege. Judas has been brought in in a way that, that no one else has. There's 12 people that were, that, that were in this inner circle. This is the worst of all human betrayal. But what we have to see here is that it is still no match for the mercy of Jesus. Jesus is going to accomplish His saving work for the people He loves and He's going to use Judas's betrayal to do it. I don't know this morning if you're, if you're afraid of betrayal. If you're afraid of being abandoned. If you're afraid of dear friends turning their back on you. I know sometimes we don't love people like we should. We don't open up ourselves to people as we should. We don't invest in people as we should. We don't care for people the way we should um, because we've been burnt before and we're just done. Or we're just very, very afraid of heartbreaking betrayal. And we could probably stand up and share heartbreaking stories of people who have turned their back on us. 
people who we thought were going to be with us to the end, um, and they have treated us awful. Or, maybe even worse, they just started to treat us as if they had no idea who we were. They ditched us. We needed friends and they ditched us. When you are betrayed and when you are abandoned, when people you thought were going to be loyal to you come what may when they turn their back on you, this is not the mercy of Jesus failing you. Jesus can, does, and will use even the most heartbreaking betrayal to accomplish His merciful work in your life. If Jesus, has, if Jesus is the author of your faith, if Jesus has brought you in, then He is the finisher of your faith. He will bring you home. And along the way, He will use even, even the heartbreaking sin of other people to accomplish His work in your life. His mercy triumphs over human betrayal. I say that to you so that you'll just get back in there. Just get back in there. Yeah, yeah. who knows what humans are going to do? Humans are fun. We're interesting. We're unpredictable. I, I encourage you to get back in there. Serve people, love people, invest in people, befriend people. Because even if they turn against you, Jesus will use even that to accomplish His work of mercy, His work of salvation, His work of sanctification in your life. Jesus wins. His mercy triumphs over human betrayal. Number four, this is one I'm particularly thankful for, Jesus' mercy triumphs over human betrayal, but it also, number four, His mercy triumphs over human denseness. That's the kindest way I could think of saying it this morning. His denseness. I, I put down stupidity and I, I erased it. That felt a little too close to home. So I changed it to denseness. 24 through 30, we see the, we see the first way his, his, because it happens a couple of times in these verses. The first one in verses 24 through 30, a dispute arose among them. This is not a good look for these guys. This is rough. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. So this is the, this is the middle of Jesus talking to them about the fact He's about to die for them. He's about to die for them. And He's also saying, and one of you is going to betray Me. So this is like, Jesus is, is, is walking through just intense, heartbreaking stuff here with these guys. He's laying His heart out on the table. And they're, who's going to be the greatest? This is rough. I remember, I, I remember um, uh, growing up, um, I've got a few moments in my head when I was just so 
selfish and self-centered with my parents. I was so ungrateful to them. And the, and, and, and my, my attitude, the way I spoke to them in these moments, I, I don't remember a lot. I remember some basketball stuff and some soccer stuff and some really cringy moments. That's what I remember from my junior high, high school days. There were, you know, I don't know, girls that I convinced to like me for a few minutes and then they got over it. And there's, there's some other things, you know, I had a pretty checkered career there. It was mostly, most of my memories involve sports, and then just some cringy, I was just like, what was I thinking? Some of the stuff I said, my, my parents sacrificed for me, they loved me, they did what they could do to, to raise me and provide for me, and some of the stuff I said to them, I was like, what is going on? How dense could I be? It makes me think, you know, Luke, when he's writing this gospel, the beginning of it tells us that the way he wrote it was he went around getting eyewitness accounts. He went around saying he went around interviewing people, and and he wrote it later. This is this you know when he he published this thing years afterwards, and so but there were probably a few disciples still alive. Can you imagine the interview on this one? And so guys, Jesus was talking about how he's going to die, and you guys were what were you doing again? Uh. We were arguing about who's the greatest. Luke, so, so walk me through that. What was the thinking? <laughs> what was the thinking there? Uh, there was none. It was bad. It was so, so stupid. This is a cringy moment. This is one they'd like to have back. But Jesus is so kind to them. So they're arguing about who's the greatest, and, and Jesus says that's what the that's what that's what unbelievers do. Unbelievers are are are, are fixated on who's going to be recognized as the greatest. But he says, but look, think about how I have been with you. Just stop for a moment and think. Is it not, you know, the the the, the Gentiles, the unbelievers, they're all about the one who is reclining at the table, not the one who is serving at the table. But I am among you as the one who serves. And then he says to them in verse 28, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus is saying to them, in the midst of their stupid argument about who's going to be recognized as the greatest, Jesus is saying to them, you're a bunch of doofuses, but you're my doofuses. You've been faithful. Not perfect, but you have stayed with me thus far. You belong to me. And in the end, I'm going to give you more recognition than you could possibly deserve. Stop freaking out about recognition right now. This is silly. But instead of like just going after them and just chastising them, instead he says, you're going to one day be recognized. This is so patient and so kind of him. He says, in the end, you're going to get more recognition than you could possibly deserve. This is good news for people like you and me. Because we, we sort of fumble about, right? We, 
we forget what we're here for. We, we forget that we're not here to be served, and we're not here to be recognized. We're not here to be affirmed. We're not here for our status, for our popularity, for, for public approval. We're not here for that. We're here to serve. We're here to serve. This is a church service. And so our mindset when we come to a church service is we're going to come and we're going to serve. We're going to, we're going to come and we're going to be a source of encouragement. We're going, to, we're, going to be, we're going to come and we're going to stir one another up to good works. We're going to serve each other. We're not here for recognition. Warm, fuzzy feelings. We're here to serve. That's what greatness is in the kingdom of God. But we forget that so quickly and we're always thinking, well, like, if I, I really deserve a little more recognition. I deserve a little more thanks. I deserve a little more praise. And then we remember, no, 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 that's stupid. And we repent of it. And then we look for folks to serve. We trudge along faithfully. But then we start secretly wishing we got thanked more. And then we repent of that foolish desire. We fight against these embarrassing temptations. We just plod along. It's a, it's a two-step forward, one-step back. And of course, along the way, we receive all kinds of encouragement. But it's never quite enough. We really wish we would... A little more recognition. So we fight against that. We fight to remember that we're here to serve, not be served. And along the way, Jesus is so kind to us. He says, you're a bunch of doofuses, but you're my doofuses. And if by His mercy, which is needed and new every morning, we need it every morning and it is new for us every morning, if by His mercy we trudge along faithfully, then one day He's going to reward us and there's going to be more recognition for us than we could possibly deserve. Because His mercy triumphs over human denseness. We also see this really quickly in verses 35-38 to as well. He says to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. You took care of us. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag, take it. And likewise, a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. So he's saying, life is about to get hard. It's about to get real out there. It's a, it's, it, you got to be ready for some difficult times. He says, up until now, I've been with you and it's been, you've, you've been mostly safe. When storms came, I, I pushed them back. and I, You've been safe with me up until now because God the Father wasn't going to let anything happen to me until it's time. Jesus is saying. I, I, so I, I, you know, I wasn't, nothing was going to happen until it was time for it to happen. He says, but now it's time for it to happen. Verse 37, For I tell you that this Scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. Jesus says it's going to be difficult. He says, I'm about to be crucified. I'm about to be numbered with the transgressors. And life after that is going to get very interesting for you. People, people wonder why Jesus said, get a sword. And we, don't, we know He doesn't want them to attack anyone. We see that for sure in the next chapter. And we know from the rest of the New Testament, gospel work is never done through violence. So maybe Jesus is just telling them to get ready to defend themselves against robbers on the side of the road or wild animals. or um, Either way, the point is that Jesus wants them to understand that they need to be ready for difficult times. But He... 
But his main point here is that he's going to be numbered with the transgressors. That's what Jesus wants to talk about. For I tell you that the Scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And so once again, Jesus wants to talk about spiritual realities. He wants to talk about the Gospel. He wants to talk about the fact that he's about to die because he's taking on the guilt of sinners. But they're dense. They want to just keep talking about things that don't matter so much. Verse 38, and they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. That's his way of saying, we're done talking about swords. Because they're thinking, you know, there's 12 of us, there's only two swords, how's this going to work? And Jesus is like, I, I, I don't, no, stop. Stop talking about that. Does, the, does this remind you of anybody, though? The people who are, people who are wrapped up in physical security, physical provision. The Bible is, is, is about spiritual reality. The Bible is about spiritual security. Being, being safe from the wrath of God. Having all of our needs met in the glories of Christ. The Bible is about spiritual realities and, and we're about physical realities. Physical security. Physical provision. Our bills being paid. Our health being fine. Our Jesus is getting num- ready to be numbered with the transgressors and his guys are so dense. You, you are dense, by the way. If you're listening to me, you, you are slow to understand. You are slow to focus on what really matters. You are not as dense as me, but you are, you are dense. The, the, the transgressors that Jesus was numbered with, that's us. That's all those who believe. We're slow, but it's a good thing Jesus' mercy triumphs over denseness. His mercy triumphs over Satan, over death, over betrayal, over denseness. And in the words you've been longing for, and finally, His mercy triumphs over human denial. Verses 31 through 34. I love these verses. He says to Peter in verse 31 Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. I love this. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to both the prison and to death. Jesus said, no. I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Some of my favorite words in the New Testament, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus knows that Simon Peter is going to deny him. But this is not like Judas. Judas who abandoned everything. Judas who never truly belonged to Jesus. This is different. This is the sin of someone who belongs to Jesus. Peter is going to be rightfully ashamed. God gives us good shame when we do shameful things. Peter is going to be rightfully ashamed and Peter is going to truly repent. This is the sin of 
someone who belongs to Jesus. And we're going to see that he belongs to Jesus because he turns again. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So again, what we see here, this is Peter's sin that he is 100% responsible for. God never tempts anyone to sin. God can never be blamed for anyone's sin. But Peter's sin cannot and will not triumph over the mercy of Jesus. And since Peter belongs to Jesus, Peter's sin is going to humble him. It's going to be used by God to sanctify him. And because of what Peter goes through, he is going to be able to strengthen his brothers because of the way God humbles him. Peter is going to learn the Gospel the hard way. He's going to learn the Gospel pretty much the way we all have to learn it. He's going to learn the mercy of Jesus the hard way. He's going to learn of his need and his dependence the hard way. And when God brings him through all of that, he is going to be able to strengthen his brothers. There are sins that I have committed that I wish I had never ever committed. In fact, I can't think of any sins that I've committed. I'm like, yeah, that was a good choice. Glad I did that. That worked out well. But I think all of us have some stuff that's kind of at the top of that list. If I could walk that back. If I could have that day to do over, I would do it completely differently. There are sins that we are still suffering the consequences for. But Jesus' mercy triumphs even over my sin. Even my failings have not been wasted. I wish, I wish I would learn things the easy way. My wife wishes even more that I would learn things the easy way. But I don't. Not always. And since I don't, I am so thankful that Jesus is able to take even the moments I'm most embarrassed by and He is able to humble me. He's able to make me feel properly ashamed. He he brings me to godly sorrow. He brings me to true repentance. He grows me in His grace. And then He uses me to strengthen my brothers and sisters. Because Jesus wins. You and I can courageously and joyfully follow Jesus. Because Jesus wins. Is is Satan or or his demons, are they they after you? Do you you feel bombarded by the lies that they have polluted this world with? Is, Is death at your doorstep? Are you feeling like, you know what? Any time now, I'm going to go. Are, are you heartbroken by the way folks have betrayed you? Turned against you? Are you frustrated with your own denseness? Are you embarrassed by your own times of denial? Chin up. Raise up your head. 
Repent of what you need to repent of. Serve others. Trust Jesus. Love Jesus. Serve Jesus. Joyfully and courageously. Because, come what may, Jesus wins. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your Word. It was a lot this morning. But we're thankful for evidence. Evidence upon evidence upon evidence that Your mercy through Your Son triumphs over anything that might rise up against it. It is not a fair fight. Even when Satan and death and sin are doing all that they can do to thwart the saving purposes of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, even when, even when the forces far more powerful than I am raise up against Jesus and, 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 and try, to, try to defeat His work of saving me by His mercy. Building His church by His mercy. Bringing us home fit to stand before Your throne by His mercy. When, when anything, no matter how strong it is, rises up against Jesus' mercy, what we see here is over and over and over and over, Jesus wins. I pray that that truth would, would sink into us and that we would courageously and joyfully throw ourselves into trusting and loving and serving Jesus, come what may. Help us, God. We need Your help for this. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.